Lou Bell McDoobie, and this is Rolling for Recipes. I'm here to entertain, inspire, and encourage home cooks of all levels. If your cooking could use the warm, funny, guiding hand of a real-life grandma, that would be me, Lou Bell McDoobie. Join me here each week on Rolling for Recipes. All right, let's get started. Here at Rolling for Recipes, we really do like our older cookbooks. And for today's episode, I will be reviewing a book from the early 80s called San Francisco Encore by the Junior League of San Francisco. In this episode, I'll let you know all about what we made out of this book, which was the caper chicken, chocolate chip coffee cake, and open-faced biscuits. In today's episode, I'll also give you some random chef facts about a woman named Peg Bracken, who you may not have heard of yet. Later in the episode, I'll reveal week number 35's book of the week. So keep listening, and I hope you enjoy episode number seven. All right, hello, hello, hello. It is time for the McDoobie Recipe Review. For week number 34, the book of the week is San Francisco Encore by the Junior League of San Francisco. This is such an easy book. Oh my goodness. One of those compilation books that really any any home cook should have at least a couple of these types of books. They're just they're just so easy to use. You can either just browse through the whole book and pick something that sounds good to you, go to the store, buy the ingredients, or you can look in the index and say, hey, I've got some, what do I got on hand here today? I've got some chicken. Let me see what kind of chicken recipes they have in this book. And that's exactly what I did. I was having a ball in the kitchen trying to catch up on rolling for recipes after my trip to paradise. Uh, the same day that I was cooking for week number 33 for the heritage of Italian cooking, I was so on fire that day that I was like, okay, I may as well make something out of the next book since I'm trying to get caught up. And I was going to cook some chicken to go with the polenta nochi with sage and butter sauce that I made. And I thought, okay, I want to make some kind of complimentary chicken to go with this. And the genius idea struck me, hey, you may as well look in that new uh, book you just rolled for and find a recipe there if possible. I was very happy to find a recipe called caper chicken. I love capers. My gosh, I guess there's kind of a theme going here. I love horseradish. I love capers. Kind of like some of those stronger flavors, I guess, but this recipe was another very straightforward one. And I think that I was looking for easier recipes because I was feeling like I needed to get, I needed to get some stuff cooked so I would be able to record a podcast, which is my new favorite thing to do. So I cooked all day or all afternoon rather on Monday and I ended up making this caper chicken. Well, like so often I will do, especially with chicken recipes, the recipe might call for a cut up fryer chicken and I have chicken thighs. Okay, I'm just gonna use the chicken thighs. I do not let recipes dictate too much to me precisely. You know, I have to stay with the core 
purpose of the recipe, but something like what type of chicken pieces it is, I, I'm going to take a free reign with that. So very simple recipe. You just simply browned your chicken pieces in butter. And then you made a very simple sauce out of a cup of whipping cream, two tablespoons of capers, two tablespoons of the caper juice, some oregano. There was no salt required in this recipe, and I wasn't too worried about that because I knew that the capers were going to handle that part of it. I also modified this recipe because I didn't have whipping cream. I had half and half. I whipped out my handy phone and I asked the Google gods what I could do about that. I knew I probably could use half and half. They're pretty much interchangeable. I don't I don't think that I would do that in a baked goods recipe, but something like some sauce for some chicken on a weeknight, no big deal. The recommendation was to add butter to it to thicken it up a little bit. So I just plopped an extra tablespoon of butter in with the cup of half and half. And that just got brought brought it to a boil on the stove and then just let it simmer for a couple of minutes. And then when it was time to put the brown chicken into the oven, you simply pour your sauce over the chicken and then cook it for about 45 minutes, basting occasionally. So that was totally easy and totally doable. And it was actually very delicious. So for Big Papa's selection, he chose to make a coffee cake. Seems to me that this man has a soft spot in his heart for coffee cake. Plus, it, it might be just because it's a pretty low-hanging fruit to pick when you're trying to choose a recipe to cook out of a book that has 500 recipes. So he went for the coffee cake. And we were all really glad that he did. He made the chocolate chip coffee cake. And interestingly enough, it was made in a tube pan. You might not know what that is. Have you ever seen an angel food cake? It's got a big hole in the middle. That's the cake pan that this coffee cake asked to be made in. It begged, please make me with a hole in the middle. And it came out very pretty. The top of the cake had the chocolate chips and the nuts that were chopped up. It was pecans. Coffee cake is not terribly sweet, but the outside crust kind of crusted up brown sugar yumminess, crispiness on the outside was very pretty, but I will tell you that it disappeared very rapidly from the McDoobie Mansion. Everyone enjoys coffee cake, especially Junior. He likes to make espresso coffee on his days off and chomp on something sweet like that. The chocolate chip coffee cake was delicious, and there's just one sad little slice left because I I macked on like probably three of them last night while I was slightly high and watching the Empire Strikes Back, because, you know, Star Wars, May the 4th, etc. May the coffee cake be with you. So that was a success. Very tasty, easy recipe. Then Junior McDoobie got involved with the book. He was off work finally. He's been working like just crazy hours and very manual labor, so he's often quite tired and physically just exhausted and not really eager to get into the kitchen. But yesterday um, was really fun. We cooked together. I was acting as his assistant, gathering ingredients for him and whatnot, and just, just hanging out. It was really, really nice. I hadn't seen him other than in passing since before I left for paradise. So it was really fun to spend some time in the kitchen with my son. 
And he made something out of this cookbook that was super nostalgic for me. So this cookbook was released in 1986. So the the women of the Junior League of San Francisco were probably pulling from their memory banks of what recipes to share. And who knows how long these recipes have been around. But this one was definitely one that reminded me of the 70s. And looking through my mom's, I think it was the either Good Housekeeping or Women's Day or something like that, Encyclopedia of Cookery. And my sisters and I used to scour those books, looking at all these very fancy foods that they somehow thought were good (laughs) back in those days. I mean, the pictures of those old cookbooks are just very funny, soup terrines and very much more formal than we live today. The recipe that Junior decided to make was called open-faced biscuits. I mean, that is not a very descriptive term. We know there's biscuits in it, but what it essentially is, is homemade biscuits. And then you make a shrimp salad that you then top the biscuits and then you brown them in the oven. So it was like a ladies luncheon canapé kind of thing. It was the kind of thing that I wished I could eat when I was a kid. Something like a, you know, imagine you know, well-to-do ladies having a luncheon kind of thing. So anyway, we put these together. They had you brush the tops of the biscuits with some of the cream. And it did make a very nice little crust on the top. So he baked the biscuits. He put together the shrimp salad, which was a pound of cooked shrimp that you chopped up in a food processor. Not too fine. I, I really hate that super mushy, just like baby food texture. Ugh, pate type thing. This was this was great. It was more chunky, and it called for uh, mayonnaise, of course, and mustard. You know, very typical tomato paste. The flavor profile was very reminiscent of like Thousand Island dressing. I just actually kind of really like that. It's just very very retro and just brings back memories of those flavor profiles, and I do I do like it. It had green onions in it, and he did add more hot sauce than it called for. We both tasted the salad after he mixed it up, and he decided to put in some more, a few more splashes of the tapatio. Afterwards, he then split the biscuits. You then scoop some of the salad onto the biscuits, and then you toast it in the oven for 15 minutes or so just to warm it up and get a little brown crust on it. So it was some hot mayonnaise seafood action going on there. If you like hot crab dip or something like that, you would really enjoy this. Mr. McDoobie is not a hot mayonnaise kind of guy. And he was like, ew, kind of how I feel about pate. But Junior and I both really enjoyed them. And I, for my photograph that I took of this food, which I'm trying to do that for the website, I try to get a nice photo of everything that we make and get it posted up on my website in case you're interested in looking at that and maybe you didn't catch it on Instagram. So when I took the picture of these open-faced biscuits, ladies luncheon style, I used my really cool vintage stainless steel and walnut little serving platters that I found at a thrift store a few weeks ago that I'm just in love with. They're mid-century and just perfect for this type of a photo. And they were really good with some little fresh lemon juice squeezed on them. And I had a little romaine lettuce with mine to try to, you know, just kind of break up that richness. It was definitely a canapé, but we ended up eating them for dinner. 
and they were delicious. And I froze the last six of them because we couldn't eat them all. And I froze them thinking that if I just put them in the refrigerator, that they would get very soggy. So I'm hoping that they will hold okay in the freezer and I can just warm them up in the oven for a quick lunch. I think that if I wanted to make these again, or if you wanted to make them, you could definitely modernize the recipe. Like you could cut the mayonnaise in half, add lemon juice to moisten it instead. I think it would be really good with cilantro. Um, you could definitely change up the flavor profile, but I think it was just a neat kind of old memory. Even though I never ate that kind of thing when I was a kid, I saw it on TV, but it's something that could be resur resurrected. And it was great, really fun. So that was everything that we cooked out of the San Francisco Encore book of the 500 recipes in that book. The three that we made were all three very, very good. For this week's random chef facts, I chose a person who isn't technically a chef. Her name was Peg Bracken, and she was born in 1918 and died in 2007 at the age of 89. She was the author of many books, including the 1960 really great selling book. She sold over 3 million copies back in those days of the I Hate to Cook book. Now, this cookbook was one that my mom had, and I just, you know, it's it came to my mind when I was thinking and talking about the Junior League of San Francisco and about the kind of stereotypical league members that you might think of, very well-to-do people, you know, stay-at-home mom, probably with husbands that have high-profile jobs, you know, they come home, they want their cocktail, meet them at the door in a negligee, that kind of thing. This was prior to many of the civil rights and women's issues of the day that we're still struggling with, sadly, uh, prior to any of that becoming any kind of law, 1960. Um, it was a taste of liberation, kind of a quiet revolution, according to the New York Times article called Peg Bracken, I Hate to Cook, author, dies at 89. That's an excellent article if you want to look it up. Talks about her life and what that book meant. You know, she wasn't a cook. Uh, this book was a tongue-in-cheek satirical, but the recipes did work. My mother made the cockeyed cake recipe out of that book for us all the time, and my sister is still making it today. He, she just made it for her grandson for his fifth birthday a couple of days ago, and it's the kind of cake where you it's just like the most simple cake possible because that was the whole mantra of the book is like, I don't want to be in the kitchen. I want to be out drinking martinis and smoking cigarettes and not being a husband doter, so to say, you know, it's just, I can't even imagine living in that time. And to think that the members of the Supreme court majority right now is made up of people with on the fringe of society impulses and opinions and they will be stripping away these federal protections for abortion rights. Uh, it's just, I, I'm not, I'm not surprised and I don't want to turn my podcast into any kind of political commentary, but I can't ignore this and working with this latest book and then bringing up those thoughts of Peg Bracken and, and how she was saying like, Hey, not all women want to be in the kitchen getting involved with, you know, all the, 
all the intricacies of cooking, which I personally do like. I think that it's interesting to think about that it might just be time to burn our bras again, ladies. But anyway, going back to Peg, she was a copywriter, very humorous woman. She heard the book, the, the I Hate to Cook book. It was rejected by six different male editors. Surprise, surprise. And a female editor at Harcourt eventually took it on and she sold three million copies. And some of the titles of the dishes in this book are Stay a Bed Stew, Soul Survivor, Elevator Lady Spice Cookies. I saw that one when I was reading about Peg today when I was making my notes for the podcast. And I remember that name, Elevator Lady Spice Cookies, and also Afterthought Cookies. So she was funny. And I think it's meaningful to think about her and the women of that era and what they went through to get us the protections that we currently enjoy that are likely to be stripped away on a federal level. So I encourage you to think about that and think about how women and minorities and poverty-stricken people have just had to scrabble and fight for every single thing, you know, to try to find our place. And really, it all boils down to fear, fear of women becoming the power that we really are. And it will get there someday. I feel very deeply for women who live in other states. I'm very lucky to live in California and I'm, I'm past childbearing age. It doesn't affect me personally, but it affects me deeply in my soul. And that's all I'll say about it here on the podcast. But the Peg Bracken, I Hate to Cook book from 1960. It is fun and it's got very funny drawings in it. And she is a very humorous lady. I wanted to read to you a very short excerpt from that New York Times article. It says, and this is a quote from the book. It says, start cooking those noodles. First dropping a bouillon cube into the noodle water. Brown the garlic, onion, and crumbled beef in the oil. Add the flour, salt, paprika, and mushrooms. Stir and let it cook five minutes while you light a cigarette and stare sullenly at the sink. It was the recipe for skid row stroganoff. So I, I, I can just sense the time, you know, just from movies that I've seen from that era. Although I grew up in the 60s, I was just a little girl. I wasn't dealing with the, the social and sexual revolution of that time, feminism, women's revolution, etc. But I can just imagine, I can just imagine this picture in my brain after I read that. And I have one more little bit that I wanted to read to you, quote from Peg Bracken herself. And it says, maybe I really have a love-hate relationship with food. I'm interested in it, but certainly not wholly involved. It's the dailiness of it, particularly if you're a woman. I know the times supposedly have changed, but nevertheless, it is still usually the woman who wakes up in the morning and knows that this heavy, heavy hangs over her head. At the end of the day, when she ought to be sipping a cocktail and watching whatever she's watching or reading, she's got to be out there doing that kitchen minuet, end quote. And then this article goes on to say that in 2010, a few years after Peg Bracken's death, a 50th anniversary edition of the book was published with an introduction written by her daughter, Joe. 
and quite a few of the recipes are laden with celery soup and sour cream. Don't quite hold up to modern taste, but the sentiment is strong as ever. Women don't have to enjoy cooking to enjoy eating. So that is my little random chef's facts of the week. Not really quite a chef, but still interesting lady. And a lot of memories were brought up for me, like I mentioned, with the making of those seafood biscuits that uh, Junior McDoobie and I made together. So I hope that you will seek out Peg Bracken's cockeyed cake recipe. It's available online everywhere. I might post it on my website. I don't know. But anyways, that's all about, I'm going to talk about Peg for now. Okay, time for the book review of the Junior League of San Francisco book. So as I mentioned, this is a compilation book, and I always like to recommend compilation books. Even though this one's older and a lot of the recipes might be kind of nostalgic, it is still a very solid cookbook. And even if you don't find this particular one, the Junior League of San Francisco especially would be the ones I would pick up if you see a Junior League cookbook. You know, there's also a lot from the Midwest and all regions all over the country. And it's just, I think the San Francisco one is especially good because of the fact that San Francisco is the city that's historically been considered to be on the cutting edge of culinary greatness, of course. And this particular one, the San Francisco Encore, focuses on the wine growing regions of that re of that area. And the basically the the book is organized into gastronomical as if you will, tour of the different neighborhoods and regions of the of the wine areas in San Francisco. So that, that was kind of cool. And each chapter has a little bit about like Napa, et cetera, of, what, of the wine regions. It is nostalgic. Uh, the recipes are well-written and they're very easy to follow. It's not an expensive book. I was checking on Amazon. It's only worth about four or $5. So it's not like something that's going to, I don't think that it's going to be a collector's item. But it is a, a decent book to have on hand, and, and we enjoyed it. I think that we like San Francisco a la carte a little better, uh, the, the first book that they put out. And Mr. McDoobie has cooked out of that one quite a bit. And is this one of those ones that you can go to as a reference sometimes? Like, let's say that you just want to read about coffee cakes, you know, different types of coffee cakes. And maybe you want to modify a recipe, and this would be a good one to have on hand for that. And I think that it made me it made me thoughtful, especially with everything that's going on right now, to think back to that era of these women in the Junior League. The Junior League has been around for, I think I said it was 102 years, and traditionally it was white women clutching their pearls, very stereotyped idea of what these community-minded women were like, and since that time, they've become much more inclusive, and I think they probably are still well-to-do people that get involved in your league, but I probably will read more about them. That's the thing about this Rolling for Recipes. That's It's not just about the cooking and about eating. I am learning so much. I have seen this cookbook in our house. I've never opened it, never knew what a junior league was, so this little project I'm doing is helping me to learn. As learning something new every day is one of my own personal mantras that I have or just goals 
I love learning something new every day. And even if it's something as maybe benign as what a volunteer organization does, why not? It's cool to learn about these things and about the history of it. For this episode, I wanted to share with you one of my favorite kitchen things. It's a very small tool in the kitchen, but it is something that I reach for a lot. And I just used it when I was working with Junior on the biscuits the other day. It's called a bench scraper. The one I use is a stainless steel one, and it's just a very simple flat with a rolled handle. The stainless steel bench scraper that I like to use was less than $10. I believe I got it on Amazon, but I, I couldn't find it in my order, so I'm not positive. I could have bought it at the store. I bought it back when I was first learning how to make sourdough bread back in the early, early part of 2020, January, before the pandemic. And the stainless steel bench scraper is a great tool for not just scraping off your work surface, you know, to get flour scraped up into your hands so you can then go throw it in the garbage, or for helping you to cut your dough into appropriate sized pieces. I also keep it handy because it has a little measuring thing on the bottom. It's got like, I want to say it's probably six inches maybe seven or eight. It's got some markings on the bottom that mark off quarter inch, half inch, etc. I find that handy when a recipe says to roll something out a certain thickness, you know, something of a quarter of an inch thickness, like the crackers I made for the last episode. That's so thin that it's, it's, um, it's impossible really to measure it with that little thing, but it really comes in handy when like, for instance, the cookbook for making the biscuits, it said that it wanted a I believe it said it was a half inch uh, biscuit cutter. I was like, geez. So these canapes that he made must have been intended to be very tiny. And because we knew that we weren't having them for a party, we were just going to eat them. I had him use a, a larger size uh, biscuit cutter. So it's good for measuring. And I, I just love to have that little thing around. It's very, very convenient little tool to have. It doesn't take up much space. It's stainless steel. I know it's going to last forever. And I can't even tell you how many times I've used it for many different purposes, measuring, slicing, scraping up a mess off of the bench. Uh, when I make sourdough bread, I like to use a very wet dough and I have to use my scraper to help me in the kneading process because the dough is so sticky. One of these days I'll get around to posting a video on my very fledgling YouTube channel showing how I need what's called very shaggy dough, very, very wet sourdough, which is good because then that way it, it develops more steam in the oven. So anyways, that is my Bluebell's favorite kitchen thing of the week, a stainless steel bench scraper. It costs less than $10. And I do recommend those for anyone who cooks because even if you're not baking, they come in handy for all kinds of other stuff. Okay, time to talk about our favorite day of the week, the day that we get to roll for a new book. So the rolling results for week number 35, wait for it, it's called Every Day's a Party by Emerald Lagasse. Now we own as many Emerald Lagasse books as we do Paul Prudhomme books. Mr. McDoobie, his heritage is from the Deep South. And his family came from Arkansas. 
and he is very into Southern cooking. So he's collected a lot of those books and Emerald's just a really cool guy. This particular book by Emerald is very fun. It's broken up into chapters for different kinds of celebrations and not just your standards like Christmas and New Year's, but he's got all kinds of like actually just personal celebrations, like somebody's christening and somebody else's wedding anniversary, that kind of thing. So I have barely scratched the surface of this book and I'm excited to, to look into it some more and find something delicious to make. So the person who rolled for this book was Big Papa McDoobie. And it was appropriate because he just loves Emerald Lagasse. He's, he was excited to pick up that book. I don't think he's ever made anything out of it either. So this was a little bit of a family squabble, very short squabble. Mr. McDoobie was like, eh, we're behind. Why are we rolling for another book? We've got two books to cook out of. And Junior... You know, he just, he just insisted. And I had to side with Junior. So we had a vote. Luckily, there's only three of us. So a tiebreaker is easy. And we just, why not? You know, we got caught up. So there you go. We can still keep going. We're going to make it because we always do. Rolling results for week 35 is every day's a party with Emerald Lagasse. Every day's a party with Emerald Lagasse. And I'll be talking about that in episode number eight. Okay, that concludes another episode of Rolling for Recipes. And I really do hope you enjoyed it and got something out of it that you can take back to your own kitchen and enjoy your cooking just a little bit more. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Rolling for Recipes. I share lots of great cooking videos, especially on my stories. You can also follow Lubel McDoobie on Instagram. That's where I like to post my behind the scenes, making a podcast from scratch goofiness that I have going on. So would love it if you'd follow both of those and also encourage your friends and family to listen to Rolling for Recipes podcast if they are someone who could use a little bit of me in their lives and in their kitchen. So keep cooking and I'll talk to you again next week. Thanks again for all your support. Bluebell McDoobie signing out. <laughs>